Welcome to Common Ground with Bill Walton, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists, and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics, and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Today we're here to talk about education. Public education, charter schools, uh, education opportunity, and specifically we want to talk about a recent movie that talks about all of this, a movie called Backpack Full of Cash. And with me to talk about it are Jeannie Allen. Jeannie is the founder of the Center for Education Reform, 1993, and she is uh, an early advocate for school choice or education opportunity and uh, played an important role in creation and development of the Charter School Initiative. Jeannie? Hi, Bill. Also with me, Johnny Taylor, who is head of the uh, Thurgood Marshall uh, College Fund, uh, pre, uh, has about 300,000 students that you, uh, you help get through college. And Johnny also has a background in, uh, in the movies or in the entertainment business, which pertains to today's show. Uh, he was with Barry Diller and with uh, Blockbuster and also Paramount Pictures. Yes. Johnny, welcome. Thank you. Jeannie, um, pocket full, backpack full of cash. Yes. What is it? It's a movie. <laughs> it's a documentary. It's narrated by Matt Damon. It's coming out pretty much as we speak in October, November of uh, 2017. And it has a very strong point of view that public schools are just great. There's no problem with them. And the only thing, only thing we need to do is just pay some more money in and, and, and things will be fine. Um, and that we ought to be very happy with the public, with the public school monopoly. And that uh, Randy Weingarten of the, uh, was the AFT, American mm -hmm. Federation of Teachers, is the hero. And you are one of the villains. I know. It's amazing. <laughs> Poor Matt Damon. Little did he know I really liked him once upon a time. <laughs> well, we all have. We all did. So tell me about the movie. What's the... Uh, so it's based, uh, you know, when they when they first started filming and doing interviewing, which was actually five years ago, they just wanted a background. They were going to do some kind of review of education reform, where it stands, knew that they were going to do all different sides. That's what happens all the time. Um, they really grabbed a hold of this phrase and this idea that I often talk about to help people understand why giving parents an opportunity to make a decision about where their kids go to school is important. And what I say is imagine that everybody, all the kids are you know, strapped to their back with a backpack full of cash equivalent to the same amount for every child, right? Because that doesn't happen now. And imagine the privilege of you vying for my child. So you have to come to me and I hand you that backpack as opposed to opening the door and your kids have to just go to the school they're assigned to. Well, they took that and twisted it to be about cash, mm. not about the backpack and the child and being choice. able to go in yeah. choice and having a better opportunity. And uh, Matt Damon says he did the film because he believes in public education and believes it's under attack. And, and he wants every child to have the kind of prestigious public school he went to in Cambridge, which was a single school basically run by Harvard educators. <laughs> and then he chose to send his kids to a private school. Well, Johnny, the, the thing that... I think we need to establish are our public schools in great shape or do we have a are we, or is there not a problem and we shouldn't be concerned I mean as one of the uh, one of the publicity pieces for the movie says in general public schools in the United States are not failing um, 
and that uh, the uh, test scores are the highest ever for U.S. students, including black and Latinos. Dropout rates are the lowest ever, and graduation rates are rising. So what's the problem? Well, they're disingenuous. I mean, the reality is they pick and chose or pick and choose and uh, the numbers that work for them. The reality is I remembered when I really got my second win on this issue. Uh, January 1st, 2016, Washington Post, there was a piece mm -hmm. written and it talked about what was happening in Washington, D.C. public schools. And it really spoke to the issue that only 17% of black and brown children, blacks and Latino children in Washington, D.C. public schools were doing math on grade level hmm. and could English on grade level. This was in the eighth grade. So we're not talking calculus and you know European literature, AP European literature, we're talking eighth grade. Only 17% of black and brown children were doing, were, you know, on level, at grade level. To suggest to me, therefore, that there is not a problem in our public school system is not just disingenuous, it's a lie. Mm -hmm. So true, and uh, Johnny talks about, and many people do, that uh, you can game the numbers, right? So here's the stat that I like to use. As opposed to saying your graduation rate, which was based on school and districts, and then it, that those numbers flow up to a state, and then they're reported out nationally, how do the kids do across school lines? How do they do across state lines? How do they do nationally? We have the nation's assessment of educational progress. That's the one that gives us all those numbers, how proficient we are in reading and math and civics and history. Just remember this number, 65%. 65% are not proficient in anything, anything, math, reading, civics, history, geography, nothing, science. So 35% of students are proficient. Now then, that's average. That's right. You break that down into kids of color <laughs> and disadvantage, and you're at 15, 17, yeah. 20%. It's pretty ugly mm. pretty quickly. That's what they should be talking about. That's what Matt Damon should be talking well, about. Well, and you pointed out, which I, I love, the irony, um, frankly, the hypocrisy of they're good enough for your children. Matt Damon, you send your kids to a private school. Frankly, I made this point when, and I thought it was an opportunity for President then Obama and Michelle Obama when they brought their children to D.C. Why sign them up for Sidwell Friends if public schools are so good? See, they're good enough for your children, but they're not good enough for mine is really the message, well, well, and that well, is annoying. Well, what you know, he went to school, he went to so-called public schools in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and <laughs> right. that's a not right. exactly a typical inner city school district. And he makes the claim now, well, in Los Angeles, you can't find the kind of progressive schools that we had when we were going to school in the 50s and 60s and 70s. And, and he would put them in public schools, but the public schools of, and I think he's sort of defeating his own argument, aren't providing <laughs> what, uh, what he got. So You know, it's funny. And he's um, maybe a few miles from the first charter school in Massachusetts, yeah. which uh, two teachers founded called City on a Hill which was incredibly progressive. In fact, they didn't want walls. They wanted the school to live outside the classroom for the students. And subsequent charters, not in Massachusetts. That, that actually sounds pretty interesting. It right? was, right? Yeah, that's, you know. Progressive is the middle name for things like charter schools, which are part of this larger opportunity movement. People don't go and leave their jobs, their, their livelihood, and their comfort to start schools that look like traditional back-to-basic schools. They do because they believe kids should be 
you know, much more connected with nature. They should be learning differently. They should be in smaller groups. They should have exposure to the arts. They should have exposure to all sorts of other things. So progressive, he wants progressive. And look, let's cut Matt a break. I actually think we can educate him. That's true. I think, I think he's been duped. And I think that, unfortunately, he's heard one side. And I'm going to hold out hope that there's an opportunity here to educate him. As I like to say, I'm, I'm great friends with a lot of misguided progressives. And uh, <laughs> I think he would be in that category. I don't, yeah, I, I, but it's uh, the, the, the labels that are used, though, create opposition just almost instantly. And, they, and, you know, I think you ought to establish, and I've known you for decades, we're, we're four kids. We want this to work for everybody. This is not about taking public education away from children. This is about something else. It's about how we organize schools to deliver the best results for, for children and what the value of competition is. I mean, is that... Well, and, and that's the issue. It's what's in the best interest of the student. Frankly, I don't care about the school. I don't care about the right. faculty and the instructors and everything else. But you're right. They found a way. Words matter. And, you know, to be fair, the word, the phrase, school choice, suggests literally that the school is choosing. And that is problematic, frankly. On our side, that was a problem. I think we should have always spoken to the issue of parental choice because the parents should be able to make the best choices that are in the best interest of their children. And who knows those children better than the parent? Little things like that, little tweaks like that. And we've actually figured out when speaking to, frankly, the community, God forbid, they don't even like parental choice. They like educational opportunities hmm. because who can argue with opportunity and all sorts of opportunities from homeschooling to uh, you know virtual schools which are not homeschools but virtual to public charter schools we just want choices and the ones that work best for our children we're talking about a movie and I was thinking about this before we went on if if, if, if Matt were working in a Hollywood that was a monopoly the way education public schools are monopoly well, let me think about it there'd be one studio. <laughs> Um, we'd have a union contract, and the most outstanding actor on the lot couldn't get paid much better than the worst actor on the lot. So I don't know how Matt would really fare under that system. But then the other side, we might not have had sound. Because if you remember <laughs> in the 20s, the studios didn't want to put sound right. in. It was only because some outlier, I can't remember which studio, maybe it was Warner, who was struggling and needed to get ahead. Something different. Something different. And they brought sound in, and then everybody had to have sound. Um, same thing happened with color. They didn't want to use color because that was also more expensive and mm -hmm. they didn't want to change anything. And it just goes on and on and mm -hmm. on. I don't know, you can probably add to the list. And I don't know. Well, Barry Diller had to deal with a lot of competition. Totally. <laughs> I mean, I think back on the days. I mean, we named the company then Interactive. It was new media versus traditional media. Yeah. And it wasn't necessarily that traditional media or old media was broken. You can make the argument that everything was fine, but it's the only, it, you know, education is the one industry that only, that like refuses to innovate. And mm -hmm. I think that's my rub is let's not, let's pretend that all of our public schools were working wonderfully. Why can't we want to be better? There is an iPhone 8 because we think we can be better marginally than the iPhone 7. And that's the notion is the idea that any sector that does not innovate is actually going backwards by definition. You know, there, there's a conversation. I've had this many times over the years, but I'll never forget this particular one. I was actually in L.A. with a gentleman named Hank Levin who started the National Center for the Study of Privatization. 
which is the theme of this movie, that somehow giving parents options creates privatized organizations. Never mind that privatization is complete disconnect from any kind of government, which right. is not what we're talking about. And he said to me, look, he was very an honest opponent. He said, look, here's what I'm really worried about. I'm worried that people are going to balkanize themselves into little groups, into little fiefdoms of people who look alike, sound alike, have the same kind of money, and they're, and that's how we're going to destroy society. And I said, Hank, I appreciate the concern. But if that were the case, and if you thought government could solve that, why aren't we putting everybody in the right housing patterns? Why aren't we telling them where their jobs are? In other words, that doesn't cut it. But I have to tell you, this was close to 20 years ago he said this. This is what happens as this movie unfolds and you see the, in the trailer the Philadelphia school closing and parents screaming about their school. What the proponents of the status quo want you to believe is that it's better for society and for children to just keep those kids there than let them go somewhere else because we can't make sure they have what? That someone cares about them, that there's a rule or a regulation expecting them to be in a seat. Like, if you take it to the next level, it's a, it's a very hollow theory. But ideologically, they believe that they need to control where students go to school or they will not be able to manage and manipulate how those kids learn. Well, and that's the thing that bothers me the most as a member of the African-American community uh, is, you know, the fact of the matter is we see how that plays out. It's by your zip code, you know, and it would be a different thing if all of these schools were equally uh, preparing our children, mm -hmm. but they're not. And so therein lies the problem is you divide it and then we end up with separate but unequal Fancy that I'm from the Thurgood Marshall College Fund. Wonder where that comes from. Mm -hmm. But it is inherently unequal. Mm -hmm. I mean, even if you could pretend that somehow we could ensure that the same level of proficiency was coming from Capitol Hill as it is Anacostia in Washington, D.C., even if you pretended that we could somehow create that, it is inherently unequal. The courts have said it. People have acknowledged this forever. So, again, very disingenuous. It's not real. Mm-hmm. It's true. And the other the other piece of this, too, is that they really do believe that parents can't make choices. That's uber offensive exactly. to me, by the way. And we've <laughs> been with tons, you and I both, That's and many right. of us, thousands of us, with poor low-income parents that actually know how to ch make choices better than most of my affluent friends. They actually know what to ask because they are so concerned That's and they right. see the distinctions. Right? When you don't have something, you work really all the time to understand what it takes to get that stuff. And so these parents who left their traditional public school because an option opened, a charter in the case of many of these discussions today, do so because their kids aren't learning, they're not safe, they're not motivated, well, and they want them to have a better future. Well, what they would say, well, go to these other schools, but they're run like corporations, and uh, you know they're going to be all focused on standardized tests and accountability, and they're going to treat children like widgets, and children aren't widgets. What do you, I, mean, I know my answer to that, but what do you, what do you think when you hear that? Well, I first of all, that's, that's bogus. I mean, the reality is, thank God that my mother was that parent that you talked about. Both, neither of my parents attended college, et cetera. They had three children in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and they were trying to ensure that we had a better life than they did with more options. Yeah. Forget 
educational options. They wanted more career and life options for us, better yeah. options. And so my mother decided to send me to what was not called a charter at the time, but was called a magnet school. It took me on a bus 45 minutes away from my town, away from my public school in my neighborhood. But I was back home this last uh, Christmas and I looked around and I saw where all of the kids who were from my neighborhood, many of them had you know, parents and college degrees. I see where they are and then I see what difference in my life. Mm -hmm. My mother's decision, because the school, Broward County Schools, gave her the choice to send her children to a different school. I see how it worked out. So, again, it's right. all about giving parents who know their children best the options, educational options. And there's nothing corporate about the school that you end up choosing. This is what's interesting, because they want to use this word, because they think that the people that are going to be on their side, who are going to help them fund their movie and, and unite against policies that give kids opportunity, are going to do so because we tell them we're corporatizing. Corporate. Right, and privatization. Education. Think about what that means. We're not creating a, a new company. What you're doing is you're putting people in place who actually know how to run a school or they're not going to have the job. You're creating efficiencies. You're actually, in all of the school reform efforts that we advocate for, you're actually bypassing the school district, which is famous for fat bureaucracy, um, lots of nefarious dealings where you can't see the money. There's no transparency how it's spent. We're saying the money should go to the school level and let that school decide as a collaborative how to use it very transparently. So you can see the school. If, if, if corporate is seeing the school and deciding whether to go there or not, what's wrong with that? Well, that's, and that's what I would say. That I don't care. You know, using these words that get everyone upset, privatization, corporate, if it works. Well, the words are used on purpose. Or, of course they are. But if it works, if the kid at the other end, if the outcome is a kid is going to be able to go to college or, frankly, community college or trade school, whatever, wherever this kid ends up, if they're going to have a better life, because some corporation intervened in their education, then God bless it. Like, so I just like McGraw-Hill has intervened right. for years. Like Pearson. all of Pearson, right. like right. all the companies, these are textbook publishers, computer companies. That are selling into the schools. They're selling right. into the schools. Yeah. yeah. That, are, that are actually, all, not until there were choices and opportunities for kids, were those publishers that will fully admit accountable. They have had to completely reinvent themselves on a regular daily basis because they're having a hard time keeping up with what they call a um, segmented market. Mm -hmm. They used to be able to knock on the door of a state or a school superintendent, buy their wares, go home, put their feet up at 5 o'clock and, and watch the news. Not well, anymore. The, well, the argument of this movie is that this all could be solved if only public schools had more money. And so I don't know. Well, don't shoot the messenger. I, I got it. But, you <laughs> but know, ha haven't, hasn't spending risen some dramatic percentage oh. and, and performance is going down and most of the money is going into administration, not teaching? Well, ridiculous. And not to beat on a school <laughs> system, but Washington, D.C. and Baltimore public schools, closest to us. You know, number two and number three, I think, on the per pupil spending in the freaking country. Mm -hmm. yeah. And look at what that's gotten us. So the argument that more money is going to solve these problems is just it's, it's mind numbing because I know that they know better. And all of the economists, you know, it's not just an opinion. Yes, you can look at the numbers, you can look at the national numbers all around us. There are economists, liberal, conservative, nothing, <laughs> that have said the same thing. On productivity measures, whether it's teachers, dollar for dollar, we do not get anywhere near what the money suggests is spent. 
It only happens when students are in or near an environment where there are opportunities for parents to make those choices. Well, let's, let, that's interesting. Let's follow all the money because the argument that's made here, for example, we're Washington, D.C., where we have a lot of charter schools, is that you're taking money that would have, with the kids in their backpack to the charter school, and it's hollowing out the funding for the remaining public schools. How do we answer that question? Well, first of all, in D.C. in particular, you get you take a lot less money in that backpack to a charter school <laughs> than you do if it were going right. to a traditional school. So right. let's okay. start with that, right? Okay. right. It's in twenty thousand dollars to a public traditional public school. And by the way, words do matter. Or you can take ten thousand dollars to a traditional charter public school, rather. So a charter public school, because they're all public schools. They're all still public right. schools. They're still public schools. Yeah. So they, they intentionally don't refer to the public right. and public right. charter. Uh, but that, again, part of the gamesmanship. But if you can take half of that money in that backpack to a school that will give you better outcomes, then all of us taxpayers should feel better. And indeed, America will benefit from it. So I don't know that I'm bothered by it because we should want that. It's a more efficient way to do this. By the way, my daughter is in Washington, D.C. at an immersion, Mandarin Immersion Charter Public School, Washington U Ying, mm. in town. This is something I'd, you don't talk about a backpack. I'd have to spend 50, 60 grand to mm -hmm. send her to the equivalent, by the way, none exists, yeah. in this very town. Mm -hmm. So my little black daughter is going to get an amazing education and opportunity to speak and write fluently in Mandarin because of the D.C. public charter schools to suggest to me that she should go to her neighborhood public school because we want traditional public schools the way it's always been is really offensive. And would you have stayed in D.C. if you couldn't make that choice? Well, let's be clear. I would not be. I'd be down in McLean or somewhere else, Fairfax exactly. County. The reason I'm in D.C. In, in and remained here and bought here, by the way, is because of that opportunity. Well, and the other thing that the, the producers of the film overlook is precisely what you just heard from Johnny. There are people like him all over the country who have come back to cities that they, once they became more successful or were successful, white or black, were never going to go near that city because of public schools. Right. And Philadelphia, think about the economic you know, surge in cities like Washington, D.C. and Philadelphia. Business didn't start. Business followed right. the improvement of schools and people who were in the city, working in the city, and wanted services and wanted to be accountable. So there's another piece about that money following kids bill. So yes, when students leave, they argue, and they take their money with them, then they leave this void, and there's contracts that have already been negotiated and commitments that have already been made. Yeah. It's like any, this is where it's correct, it's like any business That's where if you suddenly stop shopping there, they, some, how are you going to pay the lights? The lights are still on. You might go to Home Depot less, but the lights are still on. True. For a very brief amount of time. Guess what happens? Money's fungible. School districts can move around money. They just choose not to. So what happens, I like to say, when there's a baby boom and there's tons of kids and there's no more money, but somehow they fit them in? And then what happens when there's a baby, what's the drop equivalent? They, somehow they figure this out. So districts know how to figure it out. But the fact of the matter, what they're really saying, which is revealing, is that there's so many contracts and fixed costs they can't possibly make changes. Well, that's not has nothing to do with kids. <laughs> so change the way you operate, right? If you have so many fixed costs that you're worried about that you suddenly mm -hmm. can't pay the 14 janitors you have because you have 30 kids that left, 
or you suddenly can't pay that teacher, why are they leaving? Fix it or go out of business. They've gone out of business in Detroit. They've gone out of business in Philadelphia. They've gone out of business in D.C. Schools that fail go out of business when people choose to leave, and that's the way it should be. And frankly, if they responded appropriately, I would look at this and say, if all of my students are leaving to go over here, then I've got to change my game. I have to prepare a better product. And if you brought, if you created a better school, then the students would come back or other students would come to you. At the heart of the matter, then, this is all about competition. That's pure. I mean, it's, it's purely about delivering an outcome for a kid that they wouldn't otherwise get someplace else, and you get and you succeed, and that's pretty much the way business works. Right. Yes, but I, would say, but I would say yeah. on, on an economic level, what is happening is driven in part by competition, right? Because it's what when That's you right. have competition, things start changing. That's right. And you have to, there's reactions and interactions. What they would like you to believe is we are only about competition, that we only care whether schools compete, and we don't worry at all about the people involved. That's not the case. We worry first about the people involved, and then we want to give people involved the chance to make their own dreams come true, which is what this nation's about, which happens to be a capitalist system where competition's at the heart of it. I just wanted to go through that extra exercise mm -hmm. because Great too point. often the people who jump. malign competition jump and act like we just think kids are widgets. And oh my gosh, Sarah out there, if you're listening. Well, the other, the other players in here are the teachers. And the film makes the point, teachers have been beaten up for decades. This is all about beating up teachers. I don't here is talking about beating up teachers. I think we're talking about systems, processes, curriculum, different ways of doing things and delivering learning outcomes. Teachers thrive in that kind of a system. So these three teachers came up to me after an event recently, just a couple <coughs> of months ago. Uh, it was the PDK released their annual poll. Yes. And they waited around for me. They were from Baltimore City. And they started telling me that I should know that charters are taking money from the traditional public schools, and that affects the teachers, because now what they want to do is they want to get rid of these teachers. These are these public school teachers saying this to me. They want to get rid of them and hire people who are cheaper. So I said, you know what you need to do? If you think that, I said, that's actually, let me explain to you. And I explained what I just said about money. I said, but let's say I'm wrong. What, what should you do? Create your own schools. I love isn't, that why you went into, isn't that why you went into education? Yeah. She's like, well, we're not happy where we are. That's interesting. Thank you for that perspective. They want power. They want just as much power as parents want power, right? So if you give teachers the opportunity to change the way they do things, I'm like, they're not going to get rid of you. You've got to stop doing what you're doing. You've got to do something different. We had an after-school program that taught kids Spanish and French, and I wouldn't use the power word. I'd use the autonomy word, and that they really like being actors and bringing about something good. And we had no trouble finding teachers for this after-school program. Where'd they come from? They've all been former public school That's teachers right. who didn't like working in the system, and they didn't have the autonomy to uh, bring about the results they wanted to bring about. Yeah, and exactly. yeah, It was interesting. I mean, in D.C. here, there was a recent discussion around the beginning of the school year that you had all of these teachers in the D.C. public schools, traditional public schools, they had all of these openings. Three or 400 teachers had quit, and, and they just had a shortage of teachers. Meanwhile, the... Uh, the charter public schools in town, the public charter schools, had applications out the door. There were people dying to get in and teach at these institutions. So, I mean, the market is responding. People want to work there, students want to attend there, parents want to engage in there, and frankly, business 
wants to give money to those institutions because ultimately businesses want the students to be successful so that they can be consumers and employees. That's that's their ultimate sort of, if you really get to it. And that's really true. That's, I mean, yes, I, I was involved true. with a group of bankers and we'd go to different meetings and you'd find a banker from Columbus, Ohio, or one from Atlanta, Georgia, or from Los Angeles. And we talk about we talk about education. That's right. About the fact that if we got if we could fix schools, if we could make things better, that would be better for everyone, better for society, and they'd have better employees. Um, we just I don't uh, know. It sounds it sounds doesn't sound like a nefarious scheme. No, you know? it's so just what should we tell Nat Damon? I mean, it's it's we're gonna. I think uh, why is, we talked about him being misguided. I mean, we've talked about a lot about here. What what would you say to him if he were sitting here? I'd say let's go to New York and visit the school that John Legend helped to found in Harlem. Or let's go to Detroit and visit the one that Jalen Rose, the NBA player, helped to found, NBA. Or Pitbull School in Miami. Pitbull? Pitbull. Right. Yes. Uh, let's find, <laughs> let's go visit their schools together and let's ask them why they do what they do. Let's show you what's really happening and let's show you the corollary that would be there before and help you understand that your mom might be a teacher, and that's wonderful and laudable, but the people you're dealing with who want you to say the things you're saying aren't putting teachers first. What and in that, in that same vein, I would say, come visit Howard University's charter school. Yeah. Come visit the developmental school at Florida A&M University and HBCU. Come visit several of our HBCUs where we operate. Uh, go visit the 100 black men where they operate. A HBCUs, historically, historically black colleges, black and, colleges universities. and universities. Yeah. Created to educate African-American children at a time when African-American children weren't allowed to attend majority institutions or white institutions. Go visit those schools, all of whom, Howard University, the mecca of HBCU world, has said it is important enough for us to create the next generation of STEM African-Americans, uh, that we're going to actually create our own charter school. They didn't rely, even though they're sitting here in Washington, D.C., they didn't rely on D.C. public schools to do it. They created their own. So visit people who actually live in these institutions before you decide for us what is best for us. And Bill, can I ask, also add this? Let's also be clear that the schools that we're talking about are constantly iterating right. and making improvements in how they teach yeah how they assess, whether they're on the right track or not, they're nimble. What we're looking for here is the ability to be flexible. And that's what great teachers want and great teachers get. Now, they have been kowtowed into believing that unless a union supports them, they're going to be treated unfairly. Mm. But the rank and file don't really believe that anymore. And Bill, I think though it's really important to also remember we're not suggesting that all charter schools are great and all voucher programs are great and all everything is great. We're suggesting that if an institution works, it works, irrespective of the label that you put on it. I had a, several teachers wrote me last week after my article and uh, public school teachers, and they said, I just can't believe. And she was this one woman was anti, anti charter schools. And I said, ma'am, I'm not anti any institution except the one that doesn't work. I said, when it fails a student, then it is what I am anti. Mm -hmm. Well, Jeannie and I have talked about this in the past. Charter schools are still have the same input requirements a lot of the regular public schools For do. For sure. And that's 
in many ways, a limitation on how much innovating they can do and right. how much change they can bring about. So they're not that different. So you're right, not all of them. They're not the, not the panacea, but it's a step in the direction where people have to compete based they can on outcomes. Be. Yeah, you have the, in, in many cases, yeah. and it's a challenge in the policy environment because there's constantly a push and pull. In, in many cases, you have the ability to be as dramatically different as you want. You can immerse kids in Mandarin Chinese. You can do um, virtual reality, like the yes. group that whose board I sat on, Washington Leadership. You can send drones out to pick up, you know, signals from uh, NASA, like the charter school in Houston does. I mean, there's tons of great things. Yes, can other traditional schools do it? A lot of traditional public schools, a lot of private schools are doing similar things or taking and learning from each other. Yeah. And we encourage we want them, them to. to. This is not shut down the traditional public but schools. But if it's not for me, if it's not for you, then gotcha. why would you require me to have my money spent somewhere else? I think you gave a very good answer to the question what you would say to Matt Damon. Yes. And Matt, if you're watching, and we're sure you are, uh, we'd like to invite you on to the show so we could all talk about this together and uh, together learn how we could make the world better, which is what you want and yes. it's what we want. So thanks. Jeannie? Johnny? Johnny can be found at uh, tmcf.org. Yes. And Jeannie can be found at edreform.org. Uh, the com. links will be in our dot com. Mm -hmm. Sorry, dot com. Sorry. And the links are on our website. And look forward to uh, more conversations. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Want more? Be sure to subscribe to Common Ground with Bill Walton on iTunes. Amazon is hiring near you. Earn a competitive wage and start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Health and safety are a top priority with all of our roles and sites, and Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. Go to Amazon.com slash apply. That's Amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer.